It's a humorous and powerful way to say that our relationship with social media has actually decreased our level of compassion. In fact, the University of Michigan studies said 14,000 college students between 1979 and 2009, that's 30 years they've been studying it. And the conclusion is people today care 40% less they did in the 80s. Now just think about that. Let's say it was 80% of the people that cared, and it's dropped to 40%. Wow! I mean, that's a cultural change where people aren't as aware of other people and caring for other people as they were. And, of course, there's a lot of reasons uh, for that. How much do you agree was the question that was asked? One through five, something like that. I often have tender concern feelings about people less fortunate than me. I sometimes try to understand my friends better by looking at things from their perspective. And all those people in uh, recent times, 2009, said no, 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 more often than they did uh, 30 years ago. Fewer people call themselves soft-hearted than they did years ago. And others' misfortunes just don't bother us as much as they used to. That's disturbing, friends. That really is disturbing. Because we need encouragement. We need support from other people. One of the reasons for this, well, just a couple I can think of, is, of course, there's been the dismantling of the Christian Judeo-ethic fence that's been on around our country from the beginning. And it's pretty much been taken down. And you take down the expectations, what happens? People become self-absorbed. It's all about them. It's all about what they can experience in life and how far uh, they can go. Another reason is that uh, with just the information glut that we have, So much information coming at us all the time. So again, like the girl there, you know, she was looking at, you know, people who were experiencing significant problems in their lives. But at the same time, she was reading about people who are having a great time. And and so what the brain does is when that's happening, the brain can't distinguish between something you really should be concerned about and just as another piece of information, another piece of information. That would be totally different if you were face-to-face with a person and they said, I lost my job, how would you respond? Well, of course you would respond, I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do for you? I'll certainly be praying for you. Yeah. But again, if we hide behind social media and minimize real friendships, we're going to be less compassionate toward others. Today we want to look at one of the most popular, the most popular parable in Scripture, one that most people are familiar with. Uh, if they're not a Christian, what is it? It's a good Samaritan, right? It's, all, it's become an idiom today for people who get way out of their way in order to help others. You'll see features on the news. This good Samaritan did this and. And we're always inspired by it, right? Saying, wow, 
You know, they stopped in their agenda of their life. And they took time and energy and risk to help someone else. And we all idle. That's great. That's great. But we have to ask the question, how true is it in our own lives? Let's look at the parable. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus was constantly teaching, and many times he had the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the scribes and lawyers. Uh, they were wanting to trip him up. They were trying to get him to slip in order that they could say this about Jesus. But that's exactly what's happening here. The lawyer stands up, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit life, eternal life? Well, this man should have known. He should have known because... It was taught to all of the Jewish people what the law was all about. Jesus Christ said, He said to him, What is written in the law and how do you read it? Because the law, if you fulfill it perfectly, you'll get into heaven. And so what the man does is he repeats the Shema. And the Shema was what we're about to read. And they recited it twice a day. So, I mean, this is really a part of their lives. And it was part of their lives because it was the perfect summation of the law. And the man answered and he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've heard that before, right? Yeah, it sums up everything. You love God fully. You love people fully. I've seen the Ten Commandments. The first five are about what? Loving God. The second five are about the second five are about loving people, right? That's the law. So, again, it's communicated in the Old Testament. You have to keep the law perfectly. You need to love people perfectly, and God perfectly. And of course, nobody can do that. And God acknowledges that. And that's why he had the sacrificial system where they would come and bring wheat, lambs, whatever the case might be for different types of sin offerings to acknowledge, hey, I can't do the law, so I need to be forgiven. And of course, he had the Day of Atonement uh, when the High priest went into the Holy of Holies and, uh, you know, God forgave the sins of the Israelites. So that was always part of their understanding. Of course, that was foreshadowing when Jesus Christ would come because Jesus Christ lived the perfect life. He fulfilled the law. No one else had done that before because He was God. Then, therefore, since he had no, you know, no sin upon him, he was able to die for us. He was able to be our representative. Uh, he was able to go to the cross saying, I don't deserve to die for my sin, but I am dying for you, for us. And that imputed righteousness he had, right, he had righteousness because he lived a perfect life, and of course he was God. So he could impute or give to us his 
righteousness by fulfilling the law and dying on our behalf. Now again, different times Israel in their history, they really got off track. And at this time they were off track as well because all the religious leaders were teaching, you've got to keep the law. They're all about the laws. They made up laws in order to, you know, make it even more difficult. But they were Pharisees, as we use the word, because they didn't follow all the laws. Nobody could follow all, you know, all of God's law. So you would think right here, uh, the lawyer would give thought to this, and he would say, well, I can't do all the law. Isn't that what the sacrificial system is about? But he was trusting in the fact that he could fulfill the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Well, really, we really would want to do that, wouldn't we? I mean, that would be our goal in life. But friends, you know, we're sinners saved by grace. And the sanctification process, the process of growing holier and holier in God, well, that goes throughout our lives because even when you die, you still have not fulfilled the law to any type of degree. Again, determining what God's standard is, and that is perfection. The lawyer said, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So the motivation is revealed. He wants to justify himself. He wants to say, okay, I'll tell you how good I am. You tell me who the neighbor is. And he thought once Jesus Christ described this neighbor, he says, yes, I've done that. Well, Jesus Christ was very gracious with him, as is with all people. And he told him a parable, the parable of the good Samaritan. Jesus often spoke in parables. He was a master storyteller. And these people, they came from everywhere because, again, he was really good at telling stories. He taught unique things. And again, there wasn't much to do back in that day. Uh, but they were drawn to Jesus Christ because of who he was. So he told this story. A parable, well, I learned in Sunday school, is a heavenly story with... Earthly story, thank you. <laughs> i got my prompter up here. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Right? And why did he use parables? Well, he used them so he could communicate something to the crowd. But each parable had a much deeper meaning that he would communicate uh, to his disciples when they were alone. So, he went on to tell the story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, this is a, a picture of part of the road to Jericho. Now, you started out in Jerusalem, which was 3,000 feet above sea level, and Jericho was 1,000 below sea level. You've got 4,000 feet that you go down in 17 miles. 
And this is the type of road it was. It was winding. And hey, if you took a misstep, you dropped like 300 feet. It was a very, very dangerous road. On top of that, you had the caves and you had the rocks that robbers could hide behind. In fact, in the 4th century, they called it uh, Anidam, which means bloody pass. It was just known. Hey, that's a dangerous road to go down. So again, Jesus is making up this story here, but he chooses this dangerous road and He's beaten by these guys. They just they want to kill him, obviously, and they would have finished off if the course the other guy wouldn't have shown up, the Samaritan. So we have what's said. These robbers came and beat him and stripped him and caused great pain. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Can you imagine if you experienced that and were just lying out there on the Jericho Road and life was just draining out of you? But there's hope. A priest comes along. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And what does that mean? Well, it means he got as far away as he could from Oh, I'm not going to touch that. Yeah, 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 you know. Now, there have been a lot of commentaries uh, that teach, why did the priest not touch him? And some people say, well, it was because the man was dead, and the priest couldn't do that. Or it was because the priest had been made ceremonially clean at the temple, and therefore he couldn't touch this person. I used to teach this until <laughs> I learned, hey, this is just a story, okay? The point is not try to figure out why he passed by. We know why he passed by. He didn't care. He didn't care. He didn't have a heart of compassion. And the priests in that day were known not to have a lot of compassion for their people because they were not fully following and trusting God. But the point of him using a priest in this story is here is a man who's given his life to religious service. Here's a man who has studied the law. Here is a man who knows the law. And certainly out of everybody in our culture who's going to care, a priest is going to care like God would care. Jesus says, he just walked by. Not all that, but... So likewise, the Levite, when he came to the police and saw him, passed by on the other side. Same identical thing. Went way out of his way. Went the opposite way. And this is a Levite. Now, as you probably know, some of you know, that all the priests in Israel uh, were from the tribe of Levi. Not all Levites were priests, but if you're going to priest, you had to be uh, a Levite. And therefore, a Levite, now this guy's not an official priest, but what the tribe of Levi would do, 
is that certain men were designated during the year to come to the temple uh, for a week or two weeks and assist the priest. Assist with the sacrificial offerings, uh, the temple police, just support uh, everything that was going on, and they would go back home. But again, what's Jesus Christ's point? Is that a Levite, certainly, a Levite would know the law. And he would come across this man and he'd say, oh, I need to help him. That's what God wants. But he doesn't do it. He just walks on by. Imagine this guy laying there and seeing the priest and the Levite and maybe crying out to them. And they went on by. Sort of sad. There's a sign that appeared, absolutely no trespassing. Violators, violators will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Sign, the Sisters of Mercy. <laughs> you know, that, we can relate to that sign sometimes, right? You know, we want to do the right thing and everything. But at the same time, we, we don't have a fully open heart. It's, it's really kind of partially closed. And so, if I'm going to help somebody, these are the the circumstances that would be that. And if they're out of the circumstances, forget it. You know, I'm very limited in my amount of compassion. And the sisters of mercy were very limited in their amount of compassion. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, hold it! What did I just say? I said a Samaritan. And I, I can just hear the gasp and the crowd. <gasps> A Samaritan? You're not talking, you're talking about a Samaritan. Oh, you talk about bad blood. Oh, I mean, Samaritans were despised. The worst thing you could say about a person is you're a demon possessed Samaritan. That was the lowest thing you could say to somebody because Samaritans were deeply hated. Back in Solomon's day, uh, when he died, what happened was that you had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom divided, all right, in conflict. So, what happened in the northern kingdom is that they were taken captive, and many of them were taken away, but there were some people left there in the northern kingdom, and the Gentiles took over, and they just decided to stay with the Gentiles, Instead of going to the southern kingdom. And that was <laughs> that was just outright treason. That you would stay with the Gentiles, that you'd intermarry with them, that you would become part of their culture. That's why they were hated so much. Because really they said, Hey, we want to go with the Jewish way, we'll kind of mix things up here, come up with our own religion. And uh yeah. So when Jesus Christ said a Samaritan, everybody really registered with that. You talk about the Levite and the priest, and you go down the hole to the Samaritan. And so everybody's kind of riled up now saying, what's he going to say? But a Samaritan, as he journeyed down that same road, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had... Compassion. 
He didn't go to the other side of the road like the Levite and the priest did. But he had compassion on this man. Compassion, that word, means yearning bowels. Yearning bowels. We're not talking about constipation here. <laughs> okay. You might remember that in those days, the seat of emotion was in the bowels. It ruined a lot of love songs. <laughs> My bowels yearn for you. <laughs> That's the way it was back then. And so, it's kind of like he had a gut reaction. He was just going on his way, and all of a sudden he saw this guy there who obviously had been beaten and left for dead. And he said, oh, i got to help him. i got to make him my priority. Instead of my journey, I've got to help this guy. You see, compassion always involves action. You can't do it with your remote, right, or the mouse, right? You know, so I lost my job, and you like it. Oh, I like it. It's kind of strange about Facebook. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, say I'm praying for you. Now, that, that's good, but that's not really taking a whole lot of action. Now, obviously, you don't have to respond to every issue. But, friends, if somebody came to you face-to-face and said, I lost my job, Hopefully, you'd have more than a response. I'm just praying for you. You'd ask about the situation, and you'd help a person in any way that you could. Compassion. Yearning bowels. Remember my dad, Fred Harrison, and his heart was incredibly full of compassion. He would constantly come home and tell us about how he had bought this person's groceries or how he had bought some gloves for a person over at the hardware store or how he had given somebody a ride or how he had gone to the hospital. I mean, his heart flowed with compassion. And he was more of an introvert. What's interesting is, is that he would stay after each service and have a ministry of listening. He said, Dan, that's all you have to do. You just have to ask questions. And people love to talk. Don't people love to talk about themselves? Right? <laughs> yeah, it's true of all of us. It's our favorite topic. And, and what he did then was he allowed them to share their emotions, to share their fears, their hurts. And he would listen and just, you know, encourage them and yeah, every Sunday. That was his ministry. I can remember that he uh, uh, initiated a project for our family to teach Sunday school at the Black Hawk neighborhood. It was Black Hawk Sunday School. And so our whole family would go down there and we'd throw Sunday school for these kids. It was an impoverished area of Rockford. And so I remember that. You know, I'm better able to put the pieces together on that one where my dad uh, was just loving other people. And, and of course, I mean, some people are just more, naturally more compassionate, right? Depends on your personality. Depends on your spiritual gifts. But it also depends on if you've seen it modeled. If something is not modeled by other people, 
other Christians. Now, you're going to say, well, that's not important because I don't see anybody else doing it. Right? Well, my dad modeled for me what it meant to be compassionate. And God gave me a, a gift of compassion. And uh, that's why I'm here today. My joy in teaching you, leading you, loving you. Walked through a difficult time with a family this past week. But, hey, that's what it's all about. Is reaching out to people who need something. And that's what our church is all about. If you need something, please tell us. We won't know about it unless you tell us. I'm so glad that you fill out those prayer requests. We just get sheets and sheets of prayer requests. It's, uh, it's really great that you share those. And we have a prayer team that's committed to praying uh, for those requests. And as I've modeled compassion throughout the years, especially in ministry, and my son Brian, our oldest, uh, he's got an incredible heart of compassion. I mean, much more than I. Uh, he just has such a love and concern for people who are on the margins, uh, people who are suffering. And he's getting a social work uh, master's down at Aurora University. That's how much he cares. In fact, my dad got a social work master's, but he went into another career. He should have stayed. <laughs> That's where his heart was. Um, yeah, it's all around us. You just have to let God show you. We had neighbors, Lori and I, a couple years ago, and they were going through marital problems, and eventually the guy left, and you know, Lori went up there and brought him food and you know, talked uh, with the woman and encouraged her and talked to her about Christ. And uh, I mowed the lawn as a rider tractor, so it wasn't that bad of an experience. <laughs> the kids have always mowed the lawn. So someday when my last kid leaves, and uh, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's just compassion. And every one of you could tell a story like that because you are a compassionate group of people. I mean, you look at all the things we do, uh, during the holiday season, we used to have the sailors at Thanksgiving, and, and the whole family would come out and see you involved, their mom and dad, in compassion of encouraging and loving these sailors in the midst of uh, their lives. And, of course, Angel Tree and um, Operation Christmas Child, uh, things for the needy, homeless. I mean, you guys do an awesome job. That compassion. I just want to let you know that. that. That is a hallmark. Yes, let's give ourselves a hand. Thank you, Lord, right? Right? Compassion is love in action. And we are a church that loves in action. We hired a person for compassion. Shannon Marcoux does a wonderful job. We're having a blood drive in a couple of weeks. We continue to be involved in compassion. Because that's where our heart is. And if you stick, stick around long enough, you'll become more compassionate. Because that's one of, our fam that's one of the things our, value, our family uh, treasures so much. So he had compassion on them. Jesus Christ many times was moved with compassion, the Bible says. It says, moved with compassion. He was dealing with some people who were blind. Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. I mean, 
that miraculous power. It's fun to hang around Jesus. What's he going to do next, you know? Raise somebody from the dead. Yeah, he did that. <laughs> but, but, but it was from compassion. He was a human being. He was God himself. And he was moved with compassion to take action. Now, have you done that? Think about your life in the last several months. Have you shown compassion to someone outside your family? Okay? It's a natural place to show compassion. But outside your family, have you shown that? Have you put it into action and, and helped them in some way? Well, Jesus Christ, many times we see, was moved by compassion. The story goes on, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him, and he had compassion. We look in Colossians 3.12. We're to put on, and if you look at the original language, that means we're to clothe ourselves with compassion. I'm sure you all remember to dress today. I really appreciate that. And others do as well, right? Don't just come in your undies. That would be inappropriate, right? But many of us, uh, as we uh, continue on the Christian journey, I mean, we, slow, we grow slowly. And, and so here Jesus Christ is telling us to put on the clothes of compassion. Put on the lenses of compassion. So I'm going to put my lenses on. And that's what I want to encourage you to do this week. Is to have the lenses of compassion on. Pray to God and say, Lord, please bring someone into my life that I might show compassion on them. And if you pray that, you're going to see things you never saw, saw before. People in need around you were before you said, yeah, everybody's got problems, but the Holy Spirit moves and I'll say, I've got to help this person. I've got to encourage them. And show compassion to them, love in action. And friends, if you pray that to Jesus, He'll show people. In fact, He might even point out people you're not crazy about. Hey, Lord, you know, if I'm going to show compassion, I at least got to like the person. Don't push me here, okay? Now, Jesus said the Samaritan loved the Jewish man. Mutual hatred. So, friends, think about this. Who is your enemy? Who's really causing problems in your life? Who frustrates you? Who would you like to replace? <laughs> That's the person they should really think about showing compassion to. That's ridiculous. Well, yeah, it is ridiculous because we're not wired that way. But if we're a Christian, we have our new capacity and the Holy Spirit can move and we can think of a creative way to show love, to show uh, a desire to help even the person that you'd rather not have around you. Yeah. Well, in thir- verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring out oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So what did he do? This is again, a guy going along on a journey. He probably had some type of schedule going on where he needed to be at a certain time. But he interrupted his agenda. That's what compassion is. It's interrupting 
your agenda for that day. You're saying, hey, I need to push other things to another day because God has called me to this moment to minister and show compassion to this person. Compassion involves action. And as we reflect upon the rest of this passage, we're going to be blown away with how much compassion this guy showed himself. Uh, He went to him and bound up his wounds. So he opened his bag, took out some clothes, and ripped them apart. And then he put them around the man's wounds, and he maybe made a tourniquet. We're not sure. But he took his own clothes, whatever he had, he ripped them apart in order to help this man. And then pouring on oil and wine. Oil was commonly carried uh, for making a fire. And wine was commonly carried to drink. But wine was a great antiseptic. So he poured that over his wounds. And the oil he poured probably all over his body just to comfort him. Because this guy was dying. Now again, compassion costs you something. If, If you don't have to give anything, you haven't shown compassion. You either give... Uh, with your time, just stopping to help a person. Uh, you give with your resources. You might give a person to help cover their rent or uh, help them with groceries, whatever it might be. But you give. You give of your emotions. That's where it comes, becomes a little risky in a sense. But I've learned as a pastor over these many years Sometimes when you move into a situation to show compassion, it's really messy. And sometimes I get hurt in the process. But, you know, that's what I've been called to do. You know, to take those risks. And are you willing to take those risks to interrupt your agenda, to spend money, time, and emotional energy to help someone in need? The verb for pouring in the original language is very interesting. It's the idea of liberality. You know, it wasn't like he took out his wine and said, okay, how much can I give him? Uh, maybe I can give him a quarter of what I have because I still have to, you know, you can enjoy something later. No, he gave a lavishly. He poured out all the wine that he had. Then the oil covered his body with oil. Unbelievable compassion. Extraordinary. Then he set him on his own animal. The beast, we're not sure what type of animal it was. And brought him to an inn and took care of him. Remember we talked about Mary and Joseph and how they couldn't get into an inn and we talked about the fact that an inn in that day mostly represented an extra house, excuse me, an extra room on someone's house. And so that was the inn. So that's where people would stay, but there was no extra bedrooms for Mary and Joseph, so they ended up in someone's stable in their home. Well, this is talking about a real inn. And you didn't want to go to a real inn. I mean, that's where prostitution was and where the robbers hung out. And the innkeeper, he was the worst of all. 
It was just a destitute place. But where else could he take the guy, right? So he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. You see, the good Samaritan just keeps taking one unbelievable step at a time. I mean, he could have helped the guy and then said, hey, listen, I'll tell him you're up here. Hey, but he didn't do that. He got him on the beast and took him to the inn. And at that point, he could have said, i got to run. All right, but I got you here. I hope they'll take care of you. But he didn't do that, right? He went into the inn and he took care of him. And the next day, and the next day, what did that mean? What did he do? And took care of him. He took care of him all night. This guy was in critical condition. So he was hovering over him like a mother hovers over a sick child. And he was doing whatever he could to make him com- make uh, this man comfortable and to meet his needs. He was advocating for him. Now, we think, wow, that's really cool. And the next day, he just took off. No, he didn't take off. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He continues to astound us. He could have just stayed overnight at the inn and whatever, and then took off, but no. He cared for him throughout the night. And then in the morning, he gave him ten denarii, the innkeeper. And that was to cover maybe one month or two months of being able to stay at the end, now, okay, th- enough, enough. You've gone way overboard, all right? Cut it back, got to protect yourself, got to protect your resources. But no, he says to the innkeeper, I will repay you when I come back. Well, that's just plain stupid. You got this innkeeper, they'll repute. You say, hey, listen, I'll trust you. I'll repay you when I come back. And you know that it was going to be a lot more than this guy spent. That's compassion. That's unbelievable compassion. That's limitless compassion. Limitless compassion can only come from God. That's why we're so astounded by this story. Who would do that? Yeah, who would do that? God would do that. God shows compassion to each of us. We'll just open up our hearts and let them in. Say, Lord, please care for me in this time of hardship. Only God could show this level of compassion. So, he gets to the question, verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. <laughs> the lawyer's in an awkward situation here. He had no idea that Jesus would go this way. <laughs> so, oh, let's see, he's not going to say Samaritan, I'll tell you that. But it's where we're doing. What does he say? The one who showed him mercy. I'm not saying Samaritan. I'll just point out that one guy. The one out of the three who showed him compassion and mercy. 
And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And we're saying, what does that mean? I mean, Jesus, nobody could love someone like that. And you're asking this guy to do this and like, do this, uh, go and do likewise. And the whole question is, uh, are you telling us that a person can get to heaven by doing good works? Now, Jesus, of course, was very creative and original in the way he talked to people who had questions. You see, this man did not understand that he was a sinner. This man thought he was at the top of the heap and he'd be going to heaven because he had it all together. So what Jesus Christ does is he gives him an illustration of compassion that just overwhelms him. Who's my neighbor anyway? We kind of narrow it down. I say, well, your neighbor's a Samaritan. And uh, well, your neighbor is the man who fell at the road. And, and then a Samaritan comes along, and he's the true neighbor. And again, just sort of messing with their minds. <laughs> really? Really, what this guy should have done is he should have got down on his knees and said, Oh, Jesus, I understand. I would have walked past too. And, and I'm so sinful and I need you. I need you so you can show me that limitless love so I can show love to others. But he didn't say that, did he? And Jesus said, go and do likewise. And of course, everybody in the crowd, I assume, caught on to this saying, that's ridiculous, that kind of compassion. Only God has that type of compassion. Oh, maybe, I don't know. Right? So it's interesting, we've related this to compassion, this parable, but the real point of the story is we cannot meet the law's requirements. Jesus says, you want to talk about helping your neighbor? I'll tell you how you should love your neighbor as I love people. Maybe some of you are here today and you know, you've been brought up in a home and a church where they say, hey, you, know, you just do enough good works and you'll be able to get into heaven. I'm not sure, but just Keep on doing what you're doing. You know, you know go to church. How about your neighbor? <laughs> and so, I tell you, the majority of people in this world think that way. Look at all the other world religions. It's all about what you can do. <laughs> Christianity is all that Jesus Christ has done for us by fulfilling the law completely in His lifetime and then dying, imputing His righteousness onto us if we so choose to take it. If you're here today and you're still leaning on your good works, you know, you're saying, well, you know, I asked Jesus Christ in my heart and stuff, but I still have to keep up um, my responsibilities, and you don't truly understand grace. Because grace is free. It's undeserved. And 
just recently, as I talked about last week, we've had three people, or four people, come to Jesus Christ. Why? Because they realized that they couldn't fulfill the law, that they were sinners, and they needed Jesus Christ to save them from a Christless eternity. And friend, if that's you, well, I tell you, I encourage you to keep coming out to Springbrook and uh, talk to one of us about it, as we would love to help you come to know Jesus. Now, you can do it on your own. All you have to do is say, Lord, I heard that message today, and I know that there's no way I can love <laughs> like that good Samaritan loved. And I know I need you. And all the brownie points that I've had throughout the years, really, they mean, they mean nothing. Like it's filthy rags, the Bible says, our good deeds. And I'm going to put my full faith in you. And I'm going to trust you for my salvation because you died on the cross for my sins. Do you understand that? Just say it in a simple prayer. But be sure to tell us. Uh, <laughs> some people become Christ followers here and they don't tell us. And I can understand why for a certain degree, but to a certain degree. But we want to help you. We want to help you thrive. We want to disciple you. We want you to see all the wonderful things that God has done. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'll thank you for this powerful parable, Lord. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would flow through us. And that we would put on the lenses of compassion this week. That we would pray that you would show us where compassion is needed. That you would open our eyes to a situation that's just right in our face. Saying, hey, you could show some love there. Love in action. You could even show compassion to your enemy. And I pray you continue to help us grow to know you better and better. In Christ's name, amen.